Hello, and welcome to Alive or Just Blethering, a podcast where two 30-somethings discuss the music we found and loved growing up. My name is Chris Lavender, and with me is my fellow host, Keith McLeod, and our good friend, Craig Russell. Today on Alive or Just Blethering, we will be talking about Follow the Leader by Korn. Thanks everyone for coming back. Uh, today it's three thirty-somethings, and this one, this one's probably, probably the most famous record we've covered so far. Maybe after Hybrid Theory, or Significant Other, or the Rage Against the Machine albums. This is a pretty big one, all the same. Hundred percent. So yeah, hi Craig, how's it going? Yeah, yeah good. Uh, it's nice to be here. Um, it's quite strange being on this side of it, though, because um, I'm, I'm 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 used to hearing the, the the polished version at the end, so I'm intrigued. And not not the several fuck ups we've just had of an intro. I never said that you did that. <laughs> it's wizard of Oz, mate. The curtain has well and truly fallen. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking that third wall. <laughs> no, thanks for coming on, man. <laughs> thanks for coming on. On this 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 episode came about because you and I got drunk as fuck before the rugby and started talking about corn. Was that before the rugby? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, I think we sat up until a ridiculous time talking about this, didn't we? Pretty much, pretty much. So we'll we'll try and uh, repeat the the epic bands that were that night. But yeah. what, what? Why corn? Why 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 did you want to come on for follow the leader? So for me, um, primarily it was because this was the song. Well, not even the song. This was the album that actually made me completely change direction in the way that I played guitar, listened to music, everything. Um, yeah. I mean, you when you met me, I was a guitarist, seven string, loving life, you know. But before that, I was primarily a blues guitarist, and this was the one that changed me, and it's never been out of my rotation since. And that's a hell of a long time. No, totally. Were you just sort of sticking to the school of rock books from, from high school and getting up your grades and then all of a sudden Monkey and Fieldy, oh sorry, Monkey and Head came in and, and fucked you up? Uh, pretty much, mate. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> pretty much, man. Um, yeah. Well, that's it. It was the whole uh, journey from blues to something that literally has no blues in it whatsoever. And I was like, whoa, this is a game changer. I'm in. No, totally. So for our listeners, a little bit of backstory... We've all been friends for a good couple of decades. Bob and I have been... Sorry, we'll refer to him as Bob, Craig, Bobag, Russell, Bob, Bobag, whatever you want to be called. But we've been in two bands together. Yeah. First little emo screamo band, DYT, and then we yep. did... We finished our, our musical careers with a sort of post-rock doom band. That was fun. Yep. And I still managed to get a seven string in both of them at least once. <laughs> I changed DYT. I was on a four string, and then for Sagat, I was I'd gone I'd gone some some balls, and I got a five string. If only you changed back then. Oh, <laughs> I don't think it would have changed anything. To be fair, nah, probably not. Still got the Sagat EP in my box down here. Come across it every once in a while. I don't even have that. <laughs> I've got a T-shirt as well, actually. Wow. But to be fair, the the years haven't been kind. If, even if I did have a t-shirt, I probably can't fit in that bad boy now. So I don't know that I ever did. I probably did fit in it. It was a small. I probably did fit in it once upon a time. But yeah, definitely don't fit in that anymore. But if 
anyone's interested, go check out um, where the seagulls follow the trawler by Sagat. We're still on SoundCloud. <laughs> I love that EP name. That was so funny. <laughs> was that not a reference to Eric Cantona? I'm pretty sure it was. We, I just remember us loving it and the drummer hating it. He was like, that's such a shit name. What does it mean? And I'm like, I don't know. I am just find it funny. So like, we, we all just outvoted them. Democracy's a lie. Did you ever steal any of your track names from from Corn albums? No. No, we were way too emo, man, back in the day. Come on, we th- we actually probably... The only thing we ever got close to ripping off was uh, Funeral for a Friend names and stuff like that. With, with casually dressed in Deep and Keira Knightley. <laughs> totally. That's probably offensive these days. But... No, we, did, we, had some, we had some good names for Sagat. We had um, Grenade O'Connor and Denzel Washington Monument and... Great tunes, great tunes. <laughs> totally, nothing, nothing will ever beat the olden days of uh, she broke my heart, so I broke her skateboard. Absolute classic. You guys put that in my wedding book. If if you break his heart, we'll break your skateboard. <laughs> so, Con, tell me, Craig. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How did you? Wh- what was what was the discovery like? What? How did you come about them? Was it? For me, it was. Um, so that I was obviously hanging about at school with fellow guitarists and for me actually being an only kid I think that's partly why my journey took me so long to get there was that I didn't have like older brothers or anything like that and it was actually one of my bro- one of my uh, friend's brothers who came along and handed me this CD and that was it for me just that absolute game changing moment man I can relate to the, the only child thing myself these things do seem to come along a tad later when you don't have a an older sibling hand, giving you hand-me-downs and telling you what to listen to. I think for myself it was when Freak on a Leash got nominated for like Best Video MTV Awards or something. Yep. it's it, Honestly, it's, it's such a crazy part of the journey to realise that though. But like I said, I had a very sheltered... Not sheltered upbringing musically, but like I had a very diverse taste in music. But metal was definitely not on the radar, especially not new metal. <clears throat> I mean, before that, I'd seen your Aerosmiths. You know, um, I was an avid, avid Hendrix fan, Zeppelin. Uh, but yeah, this this was the thing for me that it was like, whoa. Yeah, this isn't this isn't your dad's rock, is it? I mean, it might have been your your brother's new metal or your older siblings' new metal or whatever, but. It definitely wasn't your dad rock. So yeah, I did. This is probably one of the only bands, or literally the only band I picked up from uh, from my brother. To be fair, he had. I remember the Follow the Leader video, not the Follow the Leader, the Freak and Unleash video. Everyone remembers the Freak and Unleash video. It was literally everywhere, and he just had the Follow the Leader album. So I stole it. <laughs> that was that was me. That was that was Follow the Leader for me. Yeah, absolutely same here, man. Wasn't the first Corn album that I properly listened to, though? Like, yeah, I would have listened to maybe Freak on a Leash, but it wasn't until... I didn't really get it until after Issues had come out. So Issues was the most recent Corn album for me. So that was the one that I heard first. And then I went back. When when you end up going through the, the catalogue, you go back through the, the ages and you found, that, oh, there was this album that came out the year before. Oh, I know that song, Freak on a Leash and discovered how far superior an album it is yep doesn't issues does not stand up at all to it man not for me anyway no i i just sort of did go back over a couple of albums because this is my sort of period of corn 
1998, Follow the Leader, 99 issues, and then I think 2001's Untouchables. 2002. And that, 2002. Right, so that was my peak. That was my peak corn period. I didn't really have anything to do with them before that, albeit fucking absolutely... In fact, I think I only knew Blind after I started going out to rock clubs. And you just get that opening sort of... Like that scratch. And then the are you ready? And then the club just goes goes legit. But The end of the Street Fighter 2 animated movie. I'm sure it's okay. Street Fighter 2. It has Blind... Like at the very end, it's like a truck goes to crash into one of the characters, and it's like, and I fucking love. I love the first album when I was going through the back catalogue. The first album absolutely took me away because of Blind is just such a good opening track. Incredible. Yep. But you're totally right for what you're saying about issues ball. One thing I will absolutely give for the leader, it sounds amazing. Totally. Like, the production on this album is, incre- I find, incredible. Issues sounds like a pile of dog shit in comparison. Yeah, yeah. I, I, mm, yes and no. Uh, issues for me, the, the, the snare drum alone was enough to put me off for the, <laughs> the rest of my days. Um, but, no, I, I, how do you follow up, follow the leader, man? That's That True. was the point, you know? I think you probably tried too hard to make it sound good. It just sounded muddy. I thought it was... Yeah. It just sounded a bit like... Rushed. Yeah. Was it rushed? I don't know, but Follow the Leader just had the right sound. I think it had all the, the right beats. And then you look at some of the names that were involved in it, and it it had every, it had every right being as good as it was, you know? Yeah. For me, I think one of the things that always worried... Well, never. one of the things that got to me about the, the whole Issues thing was, I mean, obviously after Issues, uh, after Follow the Leader, you know that Jonathan Davis stopped drinking, got stone cold sober and was actively more involved um, and I actually think that they tried too hard Follow the Leader traditionally if you look at it, the, the time period of recording, I think that only, they were only ever in the studio three days a week because they were too hung over two days a week to do it So they were getting all that quality <laughs> riffage out in two days as opposed to dragging out over the, yeah. four or five days Yeah, instead of being in the studio seven days a week they'd be there for three days, they'd party the rest of the time in saying that, Issues maybe has my favourite corn song, and it's Somebody Someone. Good song. It, it, it is a good song. There's, 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 I mean, we're here to talk about Follow the Leader, but Issues, Lab just said there, it sounds muddy. Like, I don't think it has the same clarity, and it's one thing that blows my mind about corn is the riffs and how Monkey and Head work, and I can't get my head around it at all. And there's a clarity on Follow the Leader that when I went straight into issues, I, I didn't get. I, I couldn't hear the music as well. But it still has, you know, Falling Away From Me, Make Me Bad and Somebody Someone, the singles, are still great. And there's still a couple other good things on it. Yeah. But it's, you're right. It, how, how do you follow Follow the Leader? Yep. So with Freak on a Leash being probably the, the lead single from it, it's the one that everyone knows the video from and everything. Was there any tracks on Follow the Leader that, perhaps weren't released that you were like this this is this is an absolute banger i was kind of surprised there wasn't more to be honest because i haven't listened to this album in decades and when i went back and it only really had got the life and freaking unleash i was like is that is that really all that came off of this album yeah it it, it is quite crazy to think that isn't it but uh, i mean you're asking is there any more 
meant man i would there's not a track on this album i think that i would ever skip you know there's a few that maybe aren't warranted uh singles but i mean all in the family back in the day for that that was just fun uh, I, that was something that i think they could have done something with i mean dead bodies everywhere <laughs> phenomenal <laughs> i just can't honestly man my favorite song and it's justin yeah it's yeah, yeah, got a it's got a groove or a rhythm about it that I just absolutely love. That and I'm glad rereading the lyrics to BBK. Um, <laughs> I'm glad I got to read the lyrics on that one because I used to think it said something very different, and I was like, oh, this one's gonna be a a tough one to approach in 2021. Yeah, BBK. What does it stand for? Not a fucking clue. So it's it's technically big black cock but it's not how you would think about it it's in reference to when they were in europe they used to get little um you know how you get a jack daniels and coke and they come in a short glass jonathan davis used to call them bbks that's why so there you go i had to go through a lot of the lyrics on this album because uh i i heard a lot of th- i misheard a lot of things and i was just like what what is going on? Maybe maybe this hasn't aged well for 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 twenty twenty one. It hasn't aged well in other ways for me, and that's probably very much the reason I fell off corn. I don't particularly rate Jonathan Davis. If I have to be brutally honest, the the guy just kind of irritates me. Definitely did that for Untouchables. That was the last corn yeah. album that I gave any credence to. I would have. I was sitting my would have been sitting my GCSEs. When Untouchables came out, it was like summer of 20, 2002. I think I'd done an exam and then I wasn't driving by then because I would have been 16. So I got a bus into the town where there was a music shop, bought the one copy of Untouchables that he probably bought in, bought that, went back to do the, the second exam of the day. And I remember getting home afterwards and just being utterly underwhelmed by it. Because I'd completely moved on by that point in my in my listening. I can say I can honestly say that I cannot tell you a song off of Untouchables right now off the top of my head, even if I tried. Because yeah, I struggled yeah. as well. Yeah, after after issues, that's probably where I stopped. Um, not entirely, but like you know, I think I listened to everything else previous to that. I continued with Untouchables, Here to Stay, and that's the one. Here to Stay, that was the big one. Here to Stay and Thoughtless were sort of the two big singles off of that and they kind of had two big videos as well. I think Here to Stay has, is the opening track and I think it has a pretty banging riff but I did listen to it again and it's not... It's corn, but it's not very corn. Do you know what I mean? Like It's, it's that tone, it's it's the, the seven, eight string guitars, whatever they're playing by this point. Like It's got that sort of girth of a riff but it's also a little bit poppy. It's super sterile, going back to sure. it. Sure. Yeah. And I guess that might come down to Jonathan's newfound uh, sobriety or something or something from the record labels, giving them a nudge to be like, come on, we need to make you a bit more marketable. Uh, I remember the Hate to Stay video being on, it was either that or the Thoughtless video being on SCUS quite frequently. But nah, that was yeah. it. Thoughtless After was... that album, done. The thoughtless video, because I do remember it, was like, it 
you know, it, it encapsulates everything that sort of fell out with Jonathan Davis on. And I say fall out just because I just outgrew the guy. Do you know what I mean? The, the, the video for Thoughtless was... It's like corn were in the head, were playing in the brain of this kid and he was getting bullied at high school and it's about overcoming your bullies. And and, and that that's where I sort of fall out with Jonathan Davis because I get he was bullied, presumably, significantly, as a kid. It's quoted a few times in this song how like he or in this album, like of how much of a freak he was as a kid and stuff like that. But fuck man, we all were. <laughs> that's why we're listening to your band. Only we're thirty somethings and we're not still singing about it. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. I remember listening to again going through the discography, listening to Life is Peachy, one we've not brought up yet. And it always seemed to be like the sort of before Untouchables anyway, sort of the odd one out. Well, the only song I know off of Life of Peachy is uh, Adidas. Uh, what What else was there? They did a Lowrider cover. Yeah, th- that was for... Uh, they got Head to do the vocals because it was his birthday. <laughs> it's cool they do stuff like that. Yeah, I, but again, I think that one was a bit of an anomaly because that was probably them just reaching a peak as well. So it was one of those get in, record something to follow up the first album. Put it out there, you know. Bit of a Not wild sure. one. You were saying um, All in the Family, but that is one of the first songs I would skip. Really? It's so cringe today. It is. It really is. It's not aged well. I can't believe that's Fred Durst until he screams. He's he's so flat and monotone that it doesn't even really sound like him. And yeah, lyrically, it's not great. It really does just sound like sort of two white boys in a recording studio like just circle jerking each other like I'm just not that's exactly what it was though <laughs> yeah but song. it's it yeah, wasn't we're now 20 years later and I don't care yeah. well it wasn't even meant to be Fred Durst was it I don't know you tell it, it it wasn't meant to be Fred Durst genuinely wasn't uh, yeah, it, was supposed to be. it was supposed to be Be Real from Cypress Hill ah. but it didn't work with him on it it didn't have the same feeling and the only reason that they got Fred Durst to do it was purely for the simple fact that... Uh, so, whilst they were recording this album, they were doing Corn TV, which is why yeah. they only recorded three days a week. So they would do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday... Uh, sorry, they would do Tuesday, Wednesday. They would Thursday do Corn TV, and it would be live on the internet. One of the first ever bands to do live production things from a studio online. Um, and... Oh, Friday was their party day, recovery day. But on the Thursday, it was uh, Limp Biscuit were the guests. And the whole reason that it came about was that they had to fill this track. And they just sat down and were like, here, I've got a great idea. We should do a total diss track. Did they? Yep. Did they have... Did they- What I mean is, did they have to fill this track? Because this album is 70 minutes long. Long. There's already 13, 14 songs on it. Did they need this? This uh, this track on the album? I don't know, man. I like. I would have loved to have went and we'd go see the uh, Family Values tour and see it live, though. That would be well, class. It kind of strikes me as that's more of the the concept behind it. Is that you know, two two of the biggest bands in sort of that peak two thousand era is Limp Biscuit and Corn, and you know they featured in each other's videos and they did guest spots and stuff like that. You know, a little bit like Architects and Bring Me the Horizon a couple of years ago. Yeah. Was it needed? Probably not. 
did it work probably to help some Blood Biscuit fans jump over and like some of the corn yeah. stuff a little bit better and vice versa? Did it work? Of course it did. It did something. It's funny you when know? you think about like new metal. So people do credit corn for effectively inventing it. Yeah. But then yeah. when you look back on all the the tropes of new metal, DJs, scratching, rapping, corn doesn't have any of this. They they certainly started a trend of, you know, down-tuned guitars, bouncy riffs, bit of groove. And then bands like Limp Bizkit came along and sort of finessed it a little bit, added a little bit more touch on just to sort of move it forward a little bit as a genre. But then after that point, it never really changed. So then I think phase two was your... Limp Bizkit's Linkin Park's coming out with more of a the rap rock sort of side of things. And then within another two years, it was dead in the water. Just waiting on that comeback, man. Waiting on that comeback. <laughs> it's been close. I must admit, there's a lot of bands I feel I listen to today are pretty close to what new metal was. Especially when you listen to a lot of the new like gent core bands that seem to be coming up every five fucking seconds and they all sound generic as fuck. When are we going to get New Metal's Not Dead? Maybe there's a gap in the market. Maybe we can start a YouTube channel for New Metal's Not Dead and start really pumping out some, some quality New Metal's Not Dead videos. I mean, I've got, I've got my uh, Blue Bolt jeans ready to go, man. They're, Bernie's they're... Blades. <laughs> I'm sure I've got Bernie's Blades. Man, I, I, I cleaned up my skates the other day. <laughs> the other day. A couple of weeks ago. Bought some new wheels, some new bearings. My skates are good to go. I am 35. I will kill myself. I can't wait. <laughs> are you fancying going rollerblading or something? Yes. yes I, don't I, have the, I don't have the knees for that. No shot. <laughs> I, I, I don't have the knees for it either, but I'm going to, when the when the weather clears up a little bit, I'm going to take them for a little spin. Can't wait. Man, that's crazy. Can't wait to see that. Film it, please. Um, I mean, you can totally. look at things, you look at these, I've, I don't have TikTok, so I am completely disconnected from that world but apparently there is sort of a thing on there where it is a lot of kids wearing sort of the clothes that we might have worn 20 odd years ago so it's they're wearing like a lot of the green the, the neon the, that sort of subculture of what what do they call it that shit that goth oh um neo-goth i neo-goth cyber goth oh you mean that thomas the tank engine one where they're dancing to that yeah I mean that's one of them, but certainly there's there's definitely sort of a, a sort of subculture that's bubbling up through that that I, and I think new metal is is part of that just like it is with emo. Emo is getting quite a lot of traction in that regard, which is where you so when you're referencing like emo's not dead. There there it, that's a double double ended thing because that is hitting the the mid thirties people who listen to that music you know, 15, 20 years ago, and it's hitting an 18-year-old market as well because he's doing all in all the right channels where all these young kids are too. Man, if if New Metal came back, well, shit, that'd just be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> I don't know what sort of, you know, what what's a, what's a 2022, 2023 New Metal band going to look like? Code know? Orange. Oh, it's Code Orange. It's already happening. It's Code Orange or a new metal band mm. now. I've said Are it. They? Go and listen to them now. They've got no. a keyboard player and everything. 
Wow. Really? <laughs> wait, wait, so having a keyboard player makes you new metal now? No, but it changes, it changes your sound <laughs> significantly enough that they are no longer just an absolute brutal metal band anymore. And they've matured their sound into a early 2000s bounce coal chamber band. <laughs> Cold Chamber, uh, they were they were another new metal band that were they were sort of, I, I, I'm saying they were new metal, I think they were new metal, but they were also that sort of darker, gothier the, static side, X they? as well. That sort of yeah, they were know, a bit more industrial. Industrial, industrial. The that's for. the word. Good word. Yes, that. They, they still the Cold Chamber still fall under that new metal category though, man. Oh, yeah, absolutely, 100%. absolutely. What's the vocalist Des Des Ferreira? Is that the vocalist for Cold Chamber? You're both looking at me like, what the fuck have you just said? Well, no, I know. I it is Dez, yeah. Person. Remember Kitty? There's another band that just... Man, Kitty reminds, so good. Reminds me of, of Cold Chamber and Corn when I bring it up in the same sentence because it all like, Kuh. Yep. Kitty were good, but also really bad. Dez Fafara. Fafara. Fafara? Dez Fafara. So, I didn't, obviously, I knew Cold Chamber. We're going to come back to Kitty, by the way. Obviously, I knew Cold Chamber and everyone knew Local, etc. Blah blah blah. But it was on the Roadrunner United oh, song yeah. that Des Fafara was on, and I'm like, this guy might be one of the best metal vocalists I've ever heard. Like, and the stuff that he did after Cold Chamber, dude had some pipes on them, some rusty, rusty pipes. Good. <laughs> that that Roadrunner album needs to get a. It needs. I need to give it a listen because it's. Uh, oh, it's coming. It's come up a couple of times in. Maybe not on record, but it's definitely come up in conversations where we need to need to cover that one soon. I think. On the subject of Kitty, all I all I ever wanted, Charlotte, brackish, brackish, brackish. Like Charlotte from from that album is like that song. I I don't know. It just it just hits just hits really fucking hard when it sort of has that breakdown. It goes into like the sort of the clean chords and she's just sort of like singing through it. Oh my, tremendous stuff. Kitty. Just the sound of bands you don't hear anymore. But then, you know what? You listen to the latest release from Knock Loose. You probably won't, Keith. But if you do, you listen to that God. latest that latest release and it's using a lot of. They've started using like samples, just like recording samples, and it's got a real like horror sort of sound to it. They're using like radios and I don't know, it's just really interesting little production choices that make it sound not just straight hardcore anymore. Like they're trying to make themselves appear more I don't know, a bit more thought a bit more thought going into the production process. And it sounds fucking terrifyingly heavy. Now, oh, I, I didn't know where you were going to go with that. Now you take that, stick a DJ on it, some big old baggy trousers, and you're there, mate. Got some wallet chains. And, and effect, effectively what I'm saying is that I think there is a new metal resurgence. We're just missing it because we're too old to see it. Possibly. I mean, wow, Limp, but... Limp, Limp Biscuit are back, man. You know, no, they're, they're all not. good. Yeah, Limp Biscuit are. are not back. Yeah, they are. No, they're not. We talked about this that night. <laughs> the first half of that album, Dad Rock, is is it called that? Is Dad Rock Dad the name vibes. of the album? Dad vibes. Da- is no, that the name, of the, the name of the album? Is. Oh, the name yeah. of the album? No. Oh no, Limp Biscuit suck or don't suck or something. What is it? 
uh, Limbus, it's it's uh, Limbiscuit, and it's called Still Sucks. Still Sucks. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, the first half of that album, completely serviceable, eight out of ten, no bother. The second half of that album, dog shit. Throw it in the bin. One out of ten. What the fuck? You clearly ran out of ideas. Should have made it an EP. You're not wrong about half of it, yeah, totally. There's my ten pence on the matter. And it's literally, like... The thing is, they've not even interspersed the shit songs with the good ones. It's literally one half and the other half. That's it, man. That's it. I guess after Dad Vibes, you just just give up. Just turn off, save yourself, and you'll think it was great. Keep listening, and you realise it's fucking garbage. Dad Vibes is the third track of a 12-track album. So oh, shit, it's not man. the first half, it's the first third... I'm giving it more than it's worth. First quarter. Oh, shit, maths. First quarter. <laughs> What's track six called? Oh, man. You bring me out. You bring out the worst in me. I can't remember. It's clearly left that much of an impression. I'll tell you what, to bring it back to Follow the Leader. Thank to you. To bring us back to Follow the Leader. One of the, one of the songs that I genuinely was a bit like, oh, no, this is pretty cool. And, and there is a lot of good stuff on this. Is It's on. Track number one. Starts yep. a bit, starts a bit weird. I think it maybe takes a take takes a little bit too long to get going. But fuck me, once it gets going, I from the start of it, I thought it was going to be like a minute and a half intro, and then we're going to get freaking unleash. But no, that's a four and a half minute song, and I think absolutely is a pretty banging song. It's a great riff. Mm. Absolutely belter of an opener track. It totally. really is. It really is. It is actually better on the original as well because the original album had thirteen tracks of silence before it started. It was a twenty, yeah, it was a twenty-five track release, and that was the album that I listened to the first time round. And I'm like, I remember this. Skip, skip. What's going on? Were they just two? They were just two seconds or something, were they yep. not? Yep, yep. I read it was something to do with uh, with uh, JD being superstitious. They didn't want. They'd essentially written thirteen songs, but he didn't want his album to be thirteen songs. So, yeah, there's a yeah there's a couple of there's a couple of rumors around it. I think the one of them was definitely that. The other one that I'd heard was uh, that actually it was down to the fact that Fieldy and Head were the ones that were in the studio, sorting out the track listings and doing the mixes, and they were the ones that were taking on the brunt of the work. And they just did it a piss take to wind up the boys that they had an album that had thirteen tracks of silence at the start. So <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad the Spotify didn't sort of play on the joke as well. <laughs> right, totally. No man. Oh, it, yeah, it is on. It's on though, man. What a track! Like just that opening riff. Like genuinely, man. For me, if you imagine that, like coming from a bluesy background, to that being the first thing that you hear, is just insane. Uh, I I remember it so vividly that I even remember just being like, nah, getting home and being like, this Christmas I want a seven string. How could I need it not a seven change string. You? How could it not change your perspective? Like right. So I mean, heavy. Yep, there's the seven string behind me. I know that you can't see it on the podcast, but yeah. What what was your first seven string? This is the same guitar. Exactly. The Schecter, because I know yep. it got your the your the, the the original seven string that we were in a band with got stolen, right? Yep. Fuck's sake! Whoever steals someone's instrument is an absolute piece of shit. Yeah, totally. I've I've got a rough idea who it was, to be fair, but I probably shouldn't name and shame on a podcast. So <laughs> name them, we'll beep it. <laughs> who was it? Can't awkward say. silence. No. Awkward <laughs> silence. <laughs> anyway. No, and, and so like it's on. Like so, this is where I sort of stand with with Corn. Honestly, if it wasn't for Monkey and Head, I don't think there's anything on this album I'd want to listen to. Like I said it earlier, the guitars are just 
they just they just blow me away and especially on sort of really coming back to to this album and and listening to it headphones in the car every opportunity i could get for like the last week like the riffs on this are amazing and i can't get my head around how these guys sound but you could pretty much bin everything else if i'm going to be brutally honest i disagree i would entirely disagree i think that this album without Fieldy doing the bass lines that he does, I, I know that you seem to say that there's not a lot of bass lines in there I would argue the case that without Fieldy it doesn't have the same ring at all, it just doesn't at all. I would agree with you on that without Fieldy this would not sound the same and I'm, n- I'm not an expert on anything, right but I've played bass in a couple of bands and a couple of songs nothing to the heights of Korn obviously but and I was actually surprised at how much of a baseline I heard throughout this album. You know, the, I was su- genuinely surprised. I was like, this guy's just going to like be rattling his way through it. And there are mo- there, there's definitely sections of songs where I don't actually think he's playing anything. And the guy might as well have a fucking tambourine in his hand because he's just rattling the strings in a rhythmical fashion along with, along with the rhythm of the song, right? He's not actually playing a baseline. But that's Fieldy, and that's Fieldy's thing. I think it gets a lot worse in later albums. Yeah, I was going to say I think it's I think it's really well balanced in this album, which is probably why it's one of the most accessible of all the Corn albums, because it isn't awful, it isn't off-putting, it it actually adds to the the sound of the songs, and and that's yeah. So I don't think you could take that away, personally. I just don't think it adds in. Personally, I just don't think it benefits the song. Tell it's you. there, and it makes the sound utterly unique. No one sounds like Corn, But I don't think it makes the song any better. Oh my god, there's a guy rattling his strings off of his fucking pickups and frets. Well, Great. It, it, t- it takes us back to that night before the rugby. We're sitting drinking, and, and the reason that we got into it was that I was saying to you that this album was one of those underrated albums that for me there was a lot of things that I've started noticing in later life musically you know yeah I think, we got onto that YouTuber yeah, yeah we were talking about Rick Beetle I hate Rick Beetle most of the time but but he's obviously very well renowned in the, the new metal scene for being a producer and that's absolutely fine uh, but when he went and did uh, he took Freak on a Leash for example like he isolates the drum track and, the, and that bass track and when you hear them together no guitars or anything like that it sounds so good. It's like adding an extra layer of percussion in there. You know, it's kind of like saying uh, Slipknot don't need someone battering a beer keg. They probably don't, but it adds a little bit of value. It, it, and I'm not, dis- I'm not disputing that. It adds something. To, it adds something to the song to make it a corn song. But if I'm coming at it from a bass player's mentality, if I'm just kind of like, right, how am I going to write something to that riff? I'm not just going to rattle the strings. And I know he's not just rattling the strings. I'm per- perhaps I'm being facetious here. Perhaps I'm being a bit heavy on the guy. He's obviously achieved shitload more music than I ever have. But there's just points in the album where you're right. He 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 becomes more of a member of the rhythm section or the percussion section than he does a bass player, a bassist that knows their place. Who knew? He's. I think. I think he's one of the main reasons that corn sound the way they do and you take that away yeah you don't have corn anymore 
You take that away, and Cornell Stone's on the exact same. They're just not going to have some guy rattling his strings throughout the songs. Oh, I totally disagree. That that bass tone alone, man, is one of the reasons I love Corn. I just I love that. Um, I love that sound. You know, there was there was way more in in um, like I, 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 did, I did just say it in listening to this album. There was way more bass than I have heard in Corn songs before. So you know, maybe if you're just listening to it on the TV, maybe it's just too low end maybe you actually need a bit of a, a better speaker set set up to, to hear it or to to appreciate it so there was that bass playing element there but still i'm just i'm just not like as a as a as a bassist i'm just not 100 percent down with how fieldy actually plays a bass well fair enough how about we move on to another member of the band uh i really like David Silvera's drumming. Agreed. I really like it. I I don't think he's pushing boundaries, but he's doing exactly what the song needs at exactly the right time. And it, it yep. works. It works so well. In contrast to John Otto on Significant Other, who I feel... God, was, you hate John Otto. I hate John Otto on that album. He just sounds like a fucking drum machine and not a good one. Like... It just feels like this. This is what this is what significant other needed was a David Silvera, someone who is willing to just do the four four, but add just a little bit of splash, a little bit of high, just something when it's needed, and he does it so effectively throughout the entire album. I don't think he his his contributions to this album are phenomenal, and I mean he left he left Corn in what two thousand and six. So I think there was, like no, there was another two albums after that, um, yep. but again, he him throughout the all the albums that I've enjoyed by Corn is one of the reasons I can go back to them and listen to them today is because the drumming is so just on point. Yeah, the the thing about I, I think you're totally right. I mean, for me, he is simple enough that it it doesn't make the the, the background like the, the the rhythmic section sound so convoluted you know you sometimes you get people that try and do things that just shouldn't be there yeah i mean hell the man managed to get a disco beat on a track come on that is just insane you know but i mean for me you're right like i mean some of the it's just the way that there's like the little fills in between like that really add to it uh, i think the only thing that annoyed me ever about dave Silviero was the uh the overuse of the uh the bass drop boom you know that thing just really really got on my wick and i've never known why but it just seemed to be too much of it that's sort of what we were maybe coming to earlier with with new metal and you know a dj or a keyboard player or a sample pad now we had a sample pad and we've had sample pads in our bands before you know just get that little boom yep coming in yeah and i never understood why i never really did it it, it can be used in a in a in a good place but i don't particularly remember a lot of bass drops from corn if i'm honest i think there's one at ironically at the start of there's a lot on this album there's, <laughs> there's definitely one on issues is it is it somebody someone or is it there will bad? be yeah there will be there's definitely body. there dead bodies everywhere there's one i'm pretty sure there's someone got the life uh yeah all of them man it's mental i do i'm pretty sure in the video for Freaking Alish, he's wearing gloves. He's wearing drum gloves. Yes, he is wearing gloves. 
questionable questionable <laughs> that's all I'm saying yeah stepping away from a, a bit from followed leader though and, but still speaking about Dave Silveira I still think what was the ah, no I can't even remember the track now there was a track on it and I, I loved it because he had the two hi-hats in the video it was one of the singles that they did from it oh it was falling away from me and he's got the he's got the two hi-hats like this one here and one there I just always loved that loved that man so good that just takes me back to being at school though bloody hell I'm old <laughs> we're all 30 something I had, I had the issues knockoff hoodie so it's just the corn the doll and then probably the track list on the back or something like that yeah I think we all had that man I think I had the t-shirt variant or the long sleeve or something man you know yeah yeah speaking of um, speaking of track listings I'm looking at I'm looking at a particular track list here now lad you may not have been included in this because you were probably like 15 at the time and you were living south of the border but Bob Egg. Yes. I'm sure we've had this conversation before. Where are you at the September 11th, 2002 SECC corn gig? September 11th, 2002 SEC corn gig. Probably. Did you see corn at the SECC in yep. September the 11th, 2002? Yes. Everyone from the central belt of Scotland who listened to new metal was at that fucking gig. Absolutely. Everyone I have ever met in years after who has had the faintest interest in new metal or whatever was at that show. Yep. I wasn't there. Yeah, I wasn't there. Right. You weren't there because it was the Central Belt of Scotland. But it just it just sort of stands in my memory because it's obviously the first year anniversary of September 11th. Mm-hmm. But that was a show and a half. Yeah, I'll be honest with you, but that was the the prime of me being 18, so yeah, I probably had a good time. (laughs) Man, okay, let me take you back. Puddle of Mud are supporting. They got booed off. I was there. Yes, I was there. They got booed off the stage. Yep. Puddle of Mud got booed off the stage, and like the guy, the, the, the red red flag to a bull because everyone were booing them, and. This, the vocalist of, of Puddle Mud, I forget his name. Where's was... Scantland? Uh, yeah, on. the drunk guy. The permanently yeah. drunk guy, that guy. He was he was trying to like absorb the negativity. He was like trying to like, you know, now we're we're here to play a show and we're gonna play this show and if you want to boo us then then boo us like, you know, I want your hate, give me your hate. Like your hate will make us play more. So everybody just booed Puddle of Mud. They finished early. They absolutely went off early. I think they only played about 20, 25 minutes. You know, second support before Corn, And then, boom, we had Corn, And they opened with Here to Stay. My feet didn't touch the floor for like the first two minutes. First two minutes of the song. I just, I mean, what is it? We're 2002, so I was 16. Just speaking 16. of Puddle Mud, sorry, I'm looking at their Wikipedia page and they've had enough members to make their um, member timeline look like something that you'd put into a music box. <laughs> what does that even mean? It's just all it's just dots all over the place. Like if you put that into one, you like little music oh, box. Oh yeah, you get a song. Did you get a song out of that? It's fucking, there is at least, oh fuck, I'm not even bothering camera. There's 12, 5. Are they still going? I believe so. Um, they've, They've had some. They they continue to make headlines for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> Who else played that really gig s- then, Keith? Who else was there? Was it Puddle of Mud and Corn? I'm sure there must have been more than I'm, that. I'm not entirely sure who. I remember, 
I remember Puddle of Mud being there. I don't really remember anyone else. I might not have even been there for them. But like the Open We Hear is staying. Twist, bottled up inside, Adidas, dead bodies everywhere, blind, somebody, someone. All right, I'll just finish the, the, the set list. Falling away from me, freaking on a leash, thoughtless, shoots and ladders, and they ended with Got the Life. I, I, I'm just looking at the same list. Have you seen the bit below it where it says Puddle of Mud set list, and it's just got three tracks? <laughs> oh, Nelly! <laughs> <laughs> they managed to get control blurry, and she hates me in, and that was it. <laughs> and then they got booed off the stage. It's the only time I've ever been at a show and saw someone get booed off the stage. Yeah. Goodness Corn Live, though, man, is a, is an experience and a half. It depends on where you do see them. SECC isn't great, obviously, because it's just a big, giant tin can. Um, sure, we've talked about it before. Some of the but, worst live shows I think I've ever seen are at the SECC. Absolutely. Some of the best as well, though. For the um, banter. Yeah. For the, I think it's... It, when you go, I think a lot of the artists recognise... That this is going to be, this is going to sound like shit. So we're going to have to perform our asses off to make it approachable. So I've seen Blink One Eight Two there, and it's the worst I've ever heard them. But then I saw Deftones there, and they were yeah, fucking De- great. Deftones Taproot, the White Pony tour in there, man, was just incredible. But they also played the smaller hall, so it always depends on the SECC uh, what hall you played in. But yeah, was that Deftones Taproot in Lincoln Park? That was. Yeah, I was supposed to go to that show and I didn't. It's just because you hate Deftones, Keith. Yeah, I got bags of passes for that. Ooh, flex. Yeah, totally weird flex, right? I had, uh, (laughs) I I ate some chicken chow mein with uh, Deftones, your favourites. Did you actually go backstage and and hang out? Literally hung out with all the Deftones eating Chinese food. Nice. Yeah, totally. Taproot were funny guys. They were burst. Lincoln Park, I met a couple of them, and then... Was that, was um, Chi Cheng still with them at that point? Back then, yeah. Yeah, cool, man. Mm-hmm. There you go, weird flex. We never, we never meet our heroes on this podcast. I think I've met, I met Matt Davis one time at a gig. I've told this story before, but it was in Inverness, and I was with a group of friends, and one guy just heckled them so badly to play Roses for the Dead that Matt responded like, yeah, man, shut up, we're going to play it. And then I died inside. So, and then I met him afterwards, and I'm like, "Please don't remember me. Please don't remember me. Please don't remember." Because I was standing next to the shirtless guy that was heckling them. Shocking. But that was, I mean, like I think that's the only the only thing I can remember seeing Corn. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, did they play Download 2004 Glasgow Green? Don't think they did. Metallica. No. Machine Head. No. Slipknot. Um, I've seen them a couple of times up here since as well. Yeah. Um, there's done a couple of shows where it's been some crazy lineups. Uh, they supported Slipknot one year. I remember that being a pretty big headliner. Yeah, yeah. I never actually made it to that one. Um, I got to see most of it though because Brenda was video calling me throughout. So, you know. <laughs> bless him. But that's <laughs> totally. I, I think that's a, a tremendous set list, and I just remember it being a pretty wild show. And it just—I suppose—it just stands to to Corn's legacy that you know you still meet people and you're like oh yeah no, I'll, I'll listen to Corn. you know oh we got the we got that 2002 show oh yeah i was at the two oh fucking yeah man fucking 2002 corn ACCC. everyone was there yep 
I don't think their set list changed much though. I mean, I mean that was what two thousand and two. If you look at it even now, I would imagine it's probably very, very similar. Well, I think we all sort of stopped around about issues or thoughtless, not thoughtless. Was it thoughtless? Untouchables. Uh, untouchables. Thank untouchables, you. Untouchables. Yeah. You know who? Who? I I remember there being a song for a Lara Croft movie, and that's about it. I have not kept up with Corn since. Song for a Lara Croft movie. Got me. Yeah, they totally did a soundtrack for Lara Croft. You've got me. Angelina Jolie, Lara Croft. Really? Yep. Bloody hell! There you go. Gonna have to look that one up now. Great. Yeah, I'm googling. Did my time. Speaking of movies, though, great segue into the Queen of the Dam soundtrack. Oh, thank you so much for bringing that up. I mean, was was it was it produ- wasn't produced by Jonathan Davies, or was it compi- composed or compiled by him? It was com- it was composed by him, yeah. Yeah, Jonathan Davies was the the voice of Lestat. Yes. So in the movie, when you see Lestat singing in his new metal band, <laughs> it's actually it's, it's such it's, a fucking vibe. Man. <laughs> Stuart Townsend is miming to Jonathan Davies. Jesus Christ. And How that, did that work out for you, Keith? Did you enjoy that? I I loved it at the time because I think they shared some of the songs between Jonathan Davis and Chester Bennington. Yeah, you're I'm right. Sure. Yeah, no, you're totally right. There was um oh For okay, what yeah. is probably the third time on this podcast I'm gonna check the Queen of the Dam soundtrack. I'm trying to get it up, but it's uh, uh there's yeah. Yeah, jo- Jonathan was on most of the songs that were written for the for, written for the album, or sorry, were written for the film. So the the songs you see performed in in the movie are Jonathan. Um, maybe maybe Chester didn't have as big a yeah. A Jonathan Davis, Jonathan Davis, Marilyn Manson. I'm sure there was more though. Yeah, because you got Static X. Well, yeah, and that's that's the actual that's the rest of the soundtrack where it's just featured songs. So you know, Dead Cell, Paparocho was in it. Yeah, Chester Benton did uh, one on there as well. System madness. Yeah, I need to go back and listen to that. I'll go watch the movie again. I think I might have to might have to treat myself one night. <laughs> treat yourself. Well, I mean, this this film came out what two thousand and two. Like this was surely this was like the new metal film. This 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 was new metal in a movie, right? It looks that way, and you know it was. You look at the artists on there again that we've just gone through. That is that is your playlist. That is your two thousand and one mini disc playlist right there. Yeah, that, so much. All the names you have just put into Napster after getting home from school as you watch it download at two point five kilobytes per second, and just hope that it's not utter garbage or shite. The thing that blows my mind as well, like because I love this shit, like I was all about vampire films during about this time, and this was supposed to be a sequel to Interview with the Vampire. Interview with the Vampire. Thank you. It's the same series of books. So Stuart Townsend is supposed to be Tom Cruise's character. Quite the downgrade. Eh? <laughs> yeah, you've got Interview with the Vampire from like what ninety three, ninety four. You've got Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt and Kirsten Dunst. Yeah, that famous sort of shot, that famous film where she was like a child vampire. I think it was maybe her break to rule or whatever. And then you've got 
this. You got Queen of the Damned after that. And it's just this weird Jonathan Davies-esque trip, I suppose. It's funny, given that it was on Warner. You'd think Warner would have put a bit more money into it. It's not like it got picked up by some like third-rate studio who just wanted to try and make a quick buck off a shit sequel. They actually... You know, it was it was the real deal. It wasn't wasn't just one of those that was dropped. I'd say look at their target audience. In two thousand two, Corn are probably one of the biggest rock bands on the planet, and you've got their frontman leading the vocals for for this fair I'll, for this for this movie where the main character becomes a rock star. Yeah, <laughs> that's mad. Like, well, speaking of movies, though, I was going to say um, the getting back to the Corn followed leader spawn the movie Todd McFarlane did all the artwork for this didn't he yeah well well Wasn't they actually Todd McFarlane uh yeah but the, the whole premise behind it was that the the artwork for the album was done by Todd McFarlane but it was only after they'd got on to the spawn soundtrack itself that yeah. they were like oh wait a minute we really like this guy's work come yeah. work was man so good like that was the it was he was the same guy that done uh, Freaking Release video, which is yes. why it's all so cool. Yeah, they did so it was it was the the artwork for Follow the Leader was done by Tom McFarlane Entertainment. So McFarlane, along with fellow image comics Greg uh, Capulio, who was the penciler, he's done artwork for X Force and Angela. If that's the same Angela, I'm sure she crossed over into Marvel. Anyway, Spawn and also Batman. And then you've got um, Brian Haberlin, who was the colorist, and then the album cover was designed by Brent Ash. The video for Freak on a Leash was spent 10 days at the top position on MTV's Most Requested to, on, Total, on TRL, Total Request Live. You Google Follow the Leader, and it comes up with, at some point, they had to remove got the life it and was for the leader retired yep. from the playlist because people were just requesting it i think it was i think it was the first one of the first ever videos to be retired on mtv yeah let's let's talk about freak on a leash because it's probably everyone's gateway into this album right it's a pretty chill song with the exception of the drop at the end yeah the the first the opening what two minutes two and a half minutes yeah, as it, as we just sort of go through verse and chorus, it's, well, it's not really a verse chorus to the song. It's a very sort of interesting song where it just sort of has this extended long form verse. Mm-hmm. We get to the sort of breakdown of the fucking boomscat bullshit, and then you have this almighty drop, and it just goes batshit from there, like. I've heard that song a billion times, but for some reason I had to go back to it and be like, this song isn't as heavy as I thought it is. No, it's, it's a well-written song. Like It's an incredibly well-written song. I think, uh, again, back to that rugby night we were chatting about this, it's uh, Freak of the Leash itself is, uh, it's all chromatic harmony. So it's literally, it literally is uh, Alice in Chains, that bit. If you if you think about Alice in Chains, them bones, that whole bit of after the the scat part, shall we say, is just literally the same idea. It's so good, man. It's so good. That bit really got me. That was the bit I could always remember rocking out in my bedroom, man, turning that tiny little amp up that could barely handle a seven string, and I used to just love playing that part. 
after the drop, the down, 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 down. Yeah, like, I think if you're 30 something and you listen to new metal and you listen to corn, like, that, those chords, like, that progression is, is, is in your bones, man. Like, you know, you know that part of the song. I just, it just, because I don't listen to corn a lot these days, if at all, ever, really. And it was just the sort of, the sort of modern day realization of, I just remember that song being heavy as fuck. But it's not really. It's, it's, it's very much half and half. It was the last song they released off this album, actually. Totally. And obviously it was the... They they toured the album relentlessly. They had got themselves to a position where everyone was buying this album. And then the song got released with one of these amazing videos... And it was just the total icing on the cake because then it was like six months later they released Falling Away From Me. Which was then starting a whole new album cycle. And I think just for their own longevity they could have benefited if they could have taken a year off after after that and just ridden on the coattails of all the touring and all the hard work they'd done. But they went straight back in the studio and they made issues. And it's, you know, 20 years later, gift of hindsight, mm to its own detriment but then like i don't know like follow the leader just as a whole the first i think i know you've mentioned freak on a leash but those first four is it four tracks completely relentless like there's just no let up from the moment that album starts until basically children of the corn track five agreed it's one to four is a new metal tidal wave of ridiculousness and then things start to take a turn they're obviously trying things i don't know that they i don't know that they needed to like so so like ice cube ice cube is on children of the corn ice cube is not my problem on children of the corn jonathan davis is my problem on children of the corn because i don't know what he's doing on it and then he kind of does this sort of growling sort of vocal that is layered and they're trying to make something out of it and I'm like nah just actually just give me Ice Cube you can't have one of the best gangster rappers in the world and then have Jonathan Davis like shitting himself on a microphone like it just didn't work for me yeah the the combination of uh, of, of Corn and Ice Cube um for me, man, I agree. I agree with that. Um, it was really also cool to hear. Also, weird flex, right? Yeah, it was. It was, it was really cool to hear. Yeah, definitely a weird flex. But uh, like, I mean, on the the opposing side of it, listening to Ice Cube albums where Corn guest on it is just something else. So good, and it's just and it's literally just guitars only. Right, I've never heard that. Oh, give that a bash, man! Give that a bash. I will do. See, so good. That all sort of that all just sort of like comes to a head for me with. Was it the Cypress Hill album, Skull and Bones? One album was a hip-hop album and the other album yeah. was like a new metal rap album? That was fucking weird. I really liked that album. I'm not gonna lie. I remember liking it too, but in hindsight, I'm like, what? what? Why, did they do, why did they do that? Like you said yourself, Bob, like, Be Real was supposed to be on this album. So it was just... Yeah. Weird how those worlds crossed, you know what I mean? Yeah, it isn't, it isn't. I mean... I, I don't know. I mean, that Family Values tour, man, is just something. I mean, I've I've watched that video. I don't know, man. I, I 
pretty sure I had it on VHS as well at one point, you know. I mean, there's literally no play left in that thing. But that tour is just something else, dude. Corn, Limp Bizkit, Orgy, Ice Cube, Ramstein. Went for a few years, didn't it? Oh, man. 98, 99, 2001, 2006. Basically got replaced by 13. Vans Warped Tour. Pretty much, I think it did, yeah. Well, I know, uh, I know Incubus. Well, we've talked about Corn a little bit before, where Corn and Incubus, essentially Corn found Incubus and yep. brought Incubus into the fold. And, uh, and they went on a family values tour, which is sort of crazy if you think about it these days. It makes more sense now. If you listen to Fungus Among Us or Enjoy Incubus, you can sort of see how they crossed paths with Corn, but obviously for the bands, how the especially how Incubus have became, they're certainly miles apart now. Incubus are probably by far the best band on the Family Values live CD as well, or well live tracks CD. Jesus, I'm so mage. Yeah, um, <laughs> like honestly, man, so good. Uh, actually, on our, our, our that drive up to Aviemore recently, uh, I pretty much listened to that for the first hour of my drive I was just like man yeah there's just old memories man so good I remember the Family Values thing totally being a thing but I didn't I didn't know much about it I, I, I couldn't have pretended to know much about it at the time yeah so good it's, it's something I wish I'd got to go see it does seem pretty sick I'll tell you what also I'll tell you what actually does work on this album the only other featured vocalist. Oh no, actually, there's another featured vocalist we've not talked about. But Cheech and Chong are on this album. Hell yeah! And I did not know that. And I was listening to that song, and I was like, "Da da 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 da." Is that is that Cheech, Cheech Marin? Is is that him? And yeah, Cheech and Chong are on classic, a corn album. Classic two thousand or early late nineties trope again. Final track. 15 minutes long so you've got a seven minute track in my gift to you and then you've got two minutes of dead silence and then another and then a hidden track hidden tracks in used to do my fucking head in especially when you had like a 74 minute mini disc (laughs) <laughs> and you had to, and, and there was an okay. This album was seventy minutes, so it wouldn't have been a, as big a problem. But if you had an album that was seventy-five minutes long, and you didn't have any eighties lying around, so you had to use the seventy-four, and you had to try and cut. <laughs> I used to try and cut these silences out all the time because I'd like to try and get one or two albums onto a single mini disc. If you were recording an LP too, so you'd have double list, and you could get two or three albums on one quite comfortably without it sounding like dog shit. And when you had these fucking silences, I had to go into the thing and make it fucking work so that I didn't have to listen through, well, not listen to fucking anything for two minutes just so that I could get the tracks on. It sort of is an impressive thing to say. I'm just, I'm just sort of looking at it now. There is the shortest song on this album is, all right, irrespective of the, hidden tracks or, or whatever. The the shortest track length I can see is three minutes forty five. That's the shortest song. It's so, got the life um, as well. It's a fast song it's the fastest song probably on the album, I guess. Almost definitely. So you have to I mean there's three forty five, there's three fifty two, there's three fifty six. So you know, they're not all 
longer songs, but these guys were writing music. Like, they were writing. They weren't just, like, ABAC, like, quick songs. Like, they were taking their time and they were forming and creating music that a lot of it does still stand today. Elements haven't aged as well. But, yeah. No, definitely. Hell yeah. Do we all know where the name came from? What, the Follow the Leader? No, Corn. Oh, Corn. Because it is a fucking weird ass name, right? It really is, yeah. Come on. So, in. Well, I was just, I was just reading it. It's on, it's on the the wiki. Uh huh. It's, it's, it's nothing too, there's nothing too out there. Someone suggested it, but it just as Corn, C O R N, and they, it got rejected. Like, no, that's a shit name. To, to the point where, Monkey. Sort of was like, well, what if we take it as Corn with a K? And reverse the R, because the majority of the band had one point worked in Toys R Us. <laughs> no way. Fucking corn. The, there's an element of the band corn that is a nod to the head, a nod of the head to a defunct toy store. And, and that, it, blew, that blew my mind. Did it have any link to the song, the the the, the, the story written by Stephen King, Children of the Corn? Not from what I read. Okay. I always assume. I just always assumed that, it, like, when they did the song "Children of the Corn," I was like, "Oh, that's that's a Stephen King story," and I wonder if if that's where they've taken the name from. But I like the I like the story of the backwards R. That's funny. Well, the, the "Children of the Corn" wasn't even named by Corn anyway. That was oh, that's all Ice Cube. Oh, did he name it as well? Did he? Yep. That's impressive. Ah. The uh, Silvera later explained as well, like the music makes the name because Corn is a dumb name. Like they know. It's a bit of a joke, dumbass name. But once they get established, like the music will make the name cool again, or will make the name cool. And you kind of can't argue with that. That they have, they have sort of created their own brand, and and the the, the name Corn does literally mean one thing, and it's that bad. Interestingly, just Google in there. Sorry, sorry, but just in, I was googling up the whole uh, the the wiki there that you were looking up. Um, and one of the articles that just popped up there is a baby has legally been named Corn following a hospital mix-up. That's the headline. <laughs> they were supposed to be called Cora with a K, but they're, <laughs> but, but they're now legally called Corn. Not I'm just bad. Remembering, I'm just remembering Corn. And, uh, like, this is how much they've sort of perforated media over the years. Perforated the right word? Anyway, that... Corn were in the featured in an episode of South Park as well. Yes, they were. They were in one of the Halloween episodes. They, yeah, like and they the had their corn one. powers. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They were like the Scooby Doo gang. They're just like, oh, we we need our corn powers, and they all just turned into corn the cob, popcorn, cinema pop, like whatever else. Like you know, like that's it. Just goes to show the influence this band have actually. As much as we may not have listened to them, sir, post two thousand two, two thousand three, they've, uh, they've they've certainly been a factor in, in everyone's lives I don't think you could get through listening to heavy music in 2000 without hearing a single corn song it was they were absolutely inescapable absolutely I was just around at a mate's house one time and you know you're just, you're just drinking beers whatever and you know people are just going through YouTube videos and stuff like that because you know how that was a thing for a few years and smart TVs and you're just in whatever and we started I, someone put on I'm not going to say it was me but someone put on a, a corn video 
and then we put on another corn video, and then we put on another corn video, and like all their, nearly all their singles are absolute bangers. And one guy even turned around to me, man, and he was just like, I, I don't remember corn being like this good. Like, I don't, I don't remember corn like being this heavy and like this musical or this like this riff or, or this thing. Like, he, he'd obviously touched the surface on some points, but didn't know some of their other stuff. And he was genuinely sort of turned around and said to me, I, I don't remember corn being this good. Well, that's like our conversation, man. Like, genuinely, the last. That you were talking about like uh, have I been listening to this album recently you know especially coming on the podcast it's never been out of rotation but genuinely as I get older and I think I start appreciating things more I really did start to learn recently just how well written corn tracks are up to follow the leader and issues after that not so much didn't really care but yeah man the, the, it's insane it is insane back then for me it was just it was teenage angst heavy seven string guitars and that's all i cared about you know for There's me it so was much like angst in this album so much angst oh totally man totally but it was just something that you could just stick on and it didn't matter what you were doing whatever context man i mean like if you if you're a gym goer and you want something a little bit different bang this on for a couple of the tracks it's in there you know um, but yeah, like nowadays, man, I, like it's that like that night I was sent to you. There's a note there, Keith. There's a note in that riff, and I can't stop hearing it now. You know, there's like there's there's a a, a loose errant C somewhere in that chord, and I'm like, and I just can't unhear it. Well, we're we're talking about how maybe it got to a certain point where we stopped listening to corn. There was a time where Brian Welch had left the band. I yep. know, I know, he went through some shit. Yeah. Yeah, for me that's I completely lost interest in as well because you're talking about that dynamic of corn and monkey man. Without the two of them, corn just isn't corn. No, I agree. 100%. You know, it's it's like the fieldy thing, the fieldy conversation all over. I don't think you can do it. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, head's the one that makes all the weird, silly, crazy noises and stuff. You know. Yeah. Um, he uh, he left. He left in two thousand five. Yeah, back in 2012. Yeah, totally. There's a really good video about that as well. The first time that they actually sort of met up, they were at a gig. And, well, did uh, he not become like a? Did he not go like teetotal sober, oh, and yeah. became like a born again Christian? Oh yeah, he found Jesus. Stuff. He found Jesus. <laughs> Praise <laughs> the Lord. <laughs> yeah, no, he did, God man. Damn. He did. But yeah, it was really funny. There's a there's a really cool video if you ever get a chance to watch it, you should. Um, where it's basically the first time that they've all met face to face for for years, yeah. and the guitar tech was just like, there's, "There's totally a spot there if you want," and they were like, "Oh, we're not sure." And that was the first time he decided he was like, oh, "Fuck it, I'm just gonna go up and play." They brought him out to play blind, just at the end of their set, I which I was I'm like goosebumps, like, "Yes, he's back." No, and I think I think absolutely valid. Like I. I, I Right, I was pretty heavy on Fieldy before, but every one of the guys in this band makes this band. Absolutely, yeah. So and 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 like I don't deny that at all. So yeah, no, that that, that was cool. But I, I mean, I, I don't really know much of what happened to to Brian like during those years because I wasn't really in a corner at the time anyway. <laughs> yeah, just reading a small bit here with the song "Got the Life," and. This came up in an interview in 2013, so this was after he had rejoined um, following his conversion to Christianity. 
and they originally had the song got the life it contained an audio sample at the very beginning from actor dom de louise from the 1974 film blazing saddles Mm -hmm. now i know what character dom de louise plays in blazing saddles and i know that that would have been an incredibly bad decision to put that line at the beginning of a song they've not said specifically which line so i'm assuming what line it is but it's not one you could i could see it working at the time in 1998 this that line would have you know what is it come on you cross dressing f word with a double g in it oh many sausages <laughs> right cool got you <laughs> I need I need to watch I need to watch Blazing Saddles again now. Just thinking about that line gets me in absolute stitches because it's just at the right at the end when everyone's going. It's every, all the all the actors are just pouring into other studios, and Dom DeLuise is like the head of a um, a dance troupe, and uh, he's just trying to command them around. So apparently that line was meant to be at the beginning of Got the Life, but it was removed because Warner Brothers would not allow its usage. I wonder why. <laughs> Perhaps. I mean, they didn't. Warner Brothers didn't want them to pop. Either didn't want to popularize it, or were like, no, no, go and watch the film for full context. Because I reckon if that had happened, you could have seen an outrage of people going against that film, which could have a men- can have many different people hating it for many different reasons. Do we have anything else we want to cover with Follow the Leader? I don't know, do you? I think I think we've covered quite a lot in in our totally. time. I would agree. I mean absolutely stands as or corn the band and you know follow the leader issues life is peachy etc stand as definitive milestones in anyone's sort of new metal listening sort of career like if you've gone through if you're a 30 something and you listen to to new metal or metal of any genre at some point You've crossed paths with Corn. Absolutely. Definitely. And that's pretty fucking impressive. So, so I would say, I don't listen to them now. Jonathan Davis does my fucking nothing. But hey, I'm glad I listened to them. I'm go- I've, 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 this isn't going to bring Follow Leader back into, into um, rotation for me. It's still, Jonathan Davis still makes my skin crawl a little bit. But I'm glad I listened to it because it's definitely been inspirational to some degree. I think it's inspired me to consider more tracks from Follow the Leader. Definitely, like, the Got the Life, It's On, Justin, those three tracks might end up on a rotation for me, whether it's making a gym playlist or just a playlist for walking. They are bouncy, fun, engaging tracks that I will... I would like to hear more. I would like to listen to them more. So thank you very much for bringing this album to us craig that's all right man bringing it back hell yeah i'm bringing new metal back boys it's happening new metal's not dead boys new metal is nah. not dead is that your new that's the that's keith's new business venture new metal's no dead. i mean so lav where, where are we going where are we going next where where, where are we going we next uh for the next episode we are having a new year special party aren't we we're gonna do what everyone else does. This is nothing original. We're gonna have a little, have a little retrospective, a little vis- revisit of some of the albums that we've gone over this year. This has been our first year of the pod, and we're gonna come up with our top five. So, 
not necessarily our top five like new releases, but top five albums that we've discussed, and just basically talk about the last what nine months of how oh, we've been releasing episodes since April. So, you know, that's been that that this will be episode twenty nine that you've all just listened to. So, episode thirty, we are going to be doing a a year in review. So, come and join us. Bring yourself some leftover mince pies. Yeah, your, your turkey, your gammon, whatever you've got left on the twenty seventh, which will be when it gets released. Come and join us and have a listen. See if you you agree with us. Do you do you share the same feelings about uh, about the the albums that we're talking about? Because I know there are some that we've listened to this year that have, have, have my my opinion of them has completely changed for better. Yeah, for the better. Um, so yeah, I'm quite quite excited to to have that conversation. Definitely going to be having a few drinks. What about you, Bob? What would be your uh, top? No pressure. Top, top, top of your dome. What would be your top five of the ones that we've covered? Because you know our back catalogue that well. Oh. <laughs> I put me put me on the spot, boys. Like, eh? I don't know. Um, well, this one, obviously. Follow leader, fair. What else did you do? I can't even remember now, man. This is the. We have not got our back catalogue committed to memory. Uh, not definitely not. Anchor.fm slash AOGB Definitely podcast. not to memory. Um, oh man, dude, I don't know. There's loads of them, man. I really liked your uh, Incubus one. Was good. Morning View. That's uh, that is for a, me. That's a special album for but me. I'm gonna stick. Uh, uh, I'm gonna be really annoying and say. Uh, your white pony one was good that was fun uh, obviously you were going to go for Deftones just to spite hell yeah it was hell yeah it was man greatest band ever not really but to, to clarify we're not we're not doing the the episodes we're not we're not doing the best episodes because I have no idea I'm not going to go back and listen to no, 30 episodes of this podcast no. it's the albums for me for the well you know the albums that we've listened to and the standout ones for me are, are what we're going to cover I think you have covered a hell of a lot and that's been really good I mean, like for me, genuinely, man, like the diversity of what you've covered is is awesome. There's someone there that I, I'll be honest, it didn't matter what you could discuss or what you could bring to the table. I would never have changed my mind. Muse, just no, no. That was the one I was like, no, good lord, no. So, so did we change your mind? Or hang on, it wasn't us at all. Did Lav change your mind on Bush, Golden State? I was never intending on changing anybody's mind. I was Definitely. warning people. <laughs> no, you fucking weren't. Uh, <laughs> you were only warning people after you went back and listened to it. <laughs> Actually, do you know the one that I will say? I know which one did change my mind. And it was the Jimmy Eat World, for sure. Because yeah. I can honestly, safely say that for the years of, of growing up and listening to, to anything by Jimmy Eat World, I was never a huge fan. I was never a huge fan, but after you discussing that album, I was like, I should probably give this a bash, and I did, and it was actually pretty damn good. Well, we'll find out next week what Lav and I think. Can't wait to talk about it all. Absolutely. So, Bob Ag, thank you very much for spending time with us this evening on uh, on Follow the Leader. It's been an, it's been a blast. Lav, do you want to take us home? thank you very much for listening this has been Alive or Just Blethering please check us out on our socials at AOGB Podcast for all the latest memes updates, missed episodes whatever we fancy doing playlists on the week 
playlist. We have a new playlist. If anyone wants to um, go through a hand-picked, curated playlist of all the songs from all the albums we've covered, check out our Instagram. It's on there. We're going to get it um, listed on the stories. Uh, so please do take a look at that. But yes, thank you very much again to Craig for joining us. And thanks very much for listening, people. Good night. Good night. Good night.